touches us in the area where, where we need it most. And this morning, I kind of want to wrap it up by talking about refreshing your commitment to serve. Refreshing your commitment to serve. All right? And that will be the, the topic of this morning. Colonel James B. Irwin was an engineering graduate from University of Michigan. Congratulations, you won a ball game yesterday. He was the astronaut that flew the lunar module on Apollo 15 mission. He was the fourth pilot to land on the moon. He was the eighth man to walk on the moon. And he was the first to ride on the lunar roving vehicle on the moon. He spoke at many conferences after he got back from uh, his moon travels and space travels. And he said that he's never felt the power of God like he felt it on the moon. He'd never felt it before like that. And he spoke about the thrill of leaving Earth and seeing the Earth become this kind of blue bulb and shrink in space. And he would watch the Earth rise and he would think how privileged he was to be a member of that unique crew. And then he began to realize on the route back home that many would consider him to be a superstar. For sure, an international celebrity. Humbled by this awesome goodness of God, Colonel Williams shared his feelings and he said, as I was returning to earth, I realized that I was a servant, not a celebrity. So I'm here as God's servant on planet earth to share what I've experienced that others might know the glory of God. He subsequently retired from the United States Air Force and started flight uh, beyond or the heaven of flight. Anyway, he started this this thing where he would provide retreats and take folks on trips to the Holy Land and search for Noah's Ark. And he was all about sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I love his line. I love what he says when he put it this way. I am here as God's servant on planet earth to share what I've experienced so that others might know the glory of God. See, here was a man who was clearly confronted with a choice of being a celebrity or being a, a servant. He had seen the ticker tape parades for Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin and that group. He had seen how successful lunar missions and Apollo missions, they were celebrated not only here in America but around the world. And he knew full well the choice in front of him, celebrity or servant. Celebrity or serve it. Every Sunday and every week, you're confronted with the same choice. Will you be a celebrity or will you be a servant? Do you want to be served or do you want to serve? Is it celebrity or servant? And you say, well, I'm not really a celebrity. But if you walk in here and all you do is you come and sit, you eat donuts and drink coffee and you go home and you expect others to sing to you, preach to you, teach to you, fellowship with you, pass the offering plate by you, what else do we do? Pray for you in the back, take care of your children and you do nothing. Congratulations, you have a celebrity mentality because you're going, everybody else can just take care of me. I'd be all right if you lived in Hollywood. Flat Rock doesn't have too many celebrities. I, I just simply submit that every Sunday you have a similar choice. Will you walk into this place being a celebrity, living off of the work and labor of others, or will you roll your sleeves up and go to work in what I think is the greatest mission ever? You know, if anyone should have been a celebrity, it should have been Jesus Christ. After all, he was God in flesh. 
I mean, if anybody should have ever had, you know, the, oh yeah, and the bright light and the spotlight and the cheering crowds and, and everybody waiting on him, it should have been Jesus, the precious, righteous, holy Son of God. He made everything, the sun, the moon, the stars, everything that you could see all the way down to the subatomic, subatomic particles that you cannot see. He's God. God in flesh, everything that God is in the universe, God is, or was manifest in Jesus Christ as the very Son of the Most High God. And if anybody deserved to be the celebrity of the universe, it would have been Jesus Christ. But that wasn't his attitude, was it? That wasn't his approach to life or being on earth at all. Matter of fact, he chose to be a servant. When confronted with the choice of being a celebrity or a servant. And the disciples on several occasions wanted to make him king. When he had the choice between celebrity or servant, he always chose servant. Isn't that hard to believe? I mean, that almost seems incredible to us. That Jesus, who by his very thoughts controls space and time and quantum physics and all the other kind of physics that are out there and yet he humbled himself and took on the form of flesh and then in that form of flesh he became a servant wow matter of fact let's just go through some of the scriptures can we look at Matthew chapter 20 verses 20 through 28 a mom asked Jesus to make her two sons celebrities that they might be the ones at his right hand and at his left hand. And in that culture, in that day, if you were seated at the right hand of the host or if you were seated at the right hand of the king, that was the place of favor, that was the place of prominence, that was the place of position, that was the place of celebrity, that was the position of blessing. The next would be, you know, the one on the, the, one on the left. And so she asked her, for her sons to have the seats on the right and the left of Jesus. And he gave her a very loving rebuke. And then he says this in verse 26. He says, whoever wants to be great among you must be your, what's it say? Servant. Servant. Now, by the way, when Jesus said that, all of the disciples, I think, and I'm just going to use in my sanctified imagination here just a little bit. I think all the disciples went, oh boy, here it comes. He said, whoever wants to be first must be made your slave, doulos. There is no other way to make that slave, that word slave, a pretty word. You work on behalf or at the behest of another one. And, and just as the Son of Man did not come to serve, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many, he would go on to say, follow that example. Don't follow the example that says, hey, I deserve the right seat, and I deserve the left seat. I deserve that place of honor. I deserve the recognition. I deserve, I deserve. Listen, do you understand what you and I deserve 
You and I, because of our sins, did not deserve the love of God who gave His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins. And without Christ dying on the cross for our sins, there would have been no hope for us. There would have been no atonement for us. There would have been no salvation for us. There would have been no future hope of heaven for us. And we would all have been destined to hell forever and ever and ever. But thank God He did not come as a celebrity. He came as a servant. And he left us an example, Peter said, that we should follow in his steps. He would say another place in Matthew chapter 25, verse 31 through 40. And we're going to pick it up at the end of the chapter, but here's what he said. He said, when the Son of Man comes in glory and all the angels with him, He will sit on his throne in heavenly glory and all the nations will be gathered before him. And he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on the right and the goats on the left. And then the king will say to those on the right, come in you who are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance. The kingdom is prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, the king says, and you gave me something to eat. And I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. And I was a stranger and you invited me in. Verse 36 says, I needed clothes and you clothed me and I was sick and you looked after me and I was in prison and you came to visit me. And then the text on the screen, then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when in the world did we ever see you hungry? You're God. When did we ever see you thirsty? You're the Almighty. When did we ever give you something to drink? You told us out of, the, out of your very being comes the water of life. And if we would drink of it, we would never thirst again. And, and, and now how can we give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes to close you? When did we see you sick? You're God. God does not get sick. You certainly were never in prison, so how could we go to visit you? And here's the telling answer. The king will reply, I tell you the truth. Whoever you, whatever you did for the least, for one of the least of these brothers of mine... You did for me. So when you served someone and gave them a cup of cold water in Jesus' name, when you took clothes for the Appalachian trip, or you brought clothes for the Appalachian trip, when you, when you went to see somebody in the hospital, when you, when you went to, to love on somebody in a prison, when you went to just encourage people who were sick and not forget them, but, but encourage them in the, in the way then our Heavenly Father replies, well done. For whatever you did for them, I noticed your service. You were serving me. And it brought glory to me. And that the proverb or the parable teaches about the high value that God places on this thing of serving the church and serving inside the kingdom of God. Jesus said, when you have a choice between being a celebrity or being a servant, choose serving. Choose serving. In the upper room, and it was the Last Supper conversation in John 13, Jesus was telling them about the right kind of attitude that they should have. Luke 22, verse 25 gives us a little insight to that 
upper room setting. And in verse 25, he says, you should not be like the benefactors. Because you see, they still wanted that place of honor. They still thought Jesus was going to set up an earthly kingdom and not a spiritual kingdom. And so they wanted that place of honor. They wanted the celebrity. They wanted to be at the right. They wanted to be at the left. They were still fussing about this thing. And so Jesus said, okay, now, let me tell you, my kingdom is not like this kingdom. We don't rule by power, but we, we serve a lot. We're not like the benefactors. The benefactor is a special word for someone who did something specifically on behalf of their country, and therefore they received a place of honor or recognition become of it. It would be like the, the queen of England knighted someone. It would be like the president giving the Congressional Medal of Honor to someone. It, it would be just kind of like this big calling out for what you've done if you were the benefactor. But verse 26 says, but you're not to be like that. For his kingdom is not about power and oppression. His kingdom is about love and freedom. And he said, instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest and the one who rules like the one who serves. Well, I'm telling you, in that room that day, that spun a few heads. Nobody talked like that. In kingdom building lingo, that's not the jargon you use instead. But Jesus dropped it on him and said, listen, if you want to be great, you got to become the least. You got to serve. If you want to be like the one, if you want to, and the one who rules like the one who serves. Look at verse 27. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? It is it not the one at the table, but I am among you as one who serves who serves and then it's still the upper room and if you have your Bibles just flip to John chapter 13 it's only recorded here in John's gospel it's, a, it's an amazing thing that, that happens here the disciples have gathered in the upper room for a final meal before his death, burial, and resurrection. And everyone in that day wore sandals or they went barefoot. And I've seen this in some cultures that I've been to as well where there would be a bowl by the door and there would be someone by the door, usually a servant or a, or, or a housekeeper, and they would simply douse your feet with a little bit of water and dry your feet off and then you could go on in and and take your place at the dinner table. The dinner place, dinner table was just about maybe this high off the, off the floor. It was, you know, had a lot of pedals and stuff that you'd sit on it. You would sit in a reclined position. And when I say reclined, I'm not talking lazy boy. I mean, you would be laying on your side. If I could get up, once I got down, I would demonstrate this for you. But I'm not so sure I can. So I was just, you know, just doing that thing, all right? And so if you're doing this thing, your feet are up. And your feet are generally close to somebody else's head. Now, I'm telling you, I can, my, my food can touch. My food can be all over one another. I am not a picky food eater, but you put feet close to my plate, I back up. I don't want a part of that. And so every disciple who walked in that upper room knew the drill. It was as much a part of the culture of that day as Starbucks is a part of the culture of ours. 
They knew the routine. They knew how it worked. They knew how it functioned. You go to the door and you look to the right or to the left and there's a bowl of water and a basin and a towel and there you, the, somebody would be there to wash your feet. The servant would be there to wash your feet. Can you imagine the first disciple? He comes and he walks in the room, in the upper room, and nobody's there yet. He's the first one to arrive. And he peeks around the corner and he looks at his feet. And there's nobody there to wash his feet. In fact, there's nobody there at all. And there's no seat assignments. And I would imagine because he wanted to be the celebrity, because he wanted to sit at the right hand of Jesus, and we don't know the order they came in, but I can see him walk right past the basin and the towel and have a seat. Well, maybe two more disciples came in right behind him, and, and they opened the door, and all of a sudden they realized he's there sitting in the best seat in the house they look the water is still clean and his feet is still dirty and if he's not going to wash feet then I'm not going to wash feet and all God's people ain't going to wash feet so the two walked in acted like nothing was wrong and then two more and three more and then one more and then two more and they all did the same thing Jesus had been there for three years modeling, teaching, showing them, demonstrating them, telling them it's all about serving and serving in Jesus' name and serving and serving in love. And he didn't come to lord over, but he came to serve. Follow my example as I serve. You serve. If you want to be great, then come the least and serve. And yet they walked by the greatest opportunity they had to exhibit being a servant of Jesus Christ. And they all walked by this water and this towel. And Jesus walked in. And the table's full. He looks down and the water's clean. The towel is dry. Unused. And I wonder if in that moment, he just wanted to go, don't they still get it? It's not about getting, it's about giving. It's not about receiving, it's about serving. And so Jesus goes and he sits down at the table and all seems well and everybody kind of went, whew, maybe we're just in a new culture, the new kingdom has a new kind of social protocol kind of thing and then somewhere during the meal he got up. Maybe he went over to a peg on the wall and he took off his coat. And to the whore he walked over and grabbed the towel. Put it around his waist as was the manner and custom and protocol of a slave. He grabs the basin and the towel. And it's not enough that his hands a day later would be pierced with nails and his back bloodied with stripes and a crown of thorns on his brow. Now those hands that will have nails driven through them has to wash dirty feet. Now I'm tired, I don't know how I did it. Y'all should have just been glad I wasn't God because man, I'd have zapped all 12 of those disciples right to hell that moment, you know? But Jesus... And he knelt down. And he picked up Thomas's feet. Well, he's the doubter. He knew what would happen. He went to Bartholomew and 
Simon the Zealot. He went to Andrew, the brother of James, then they're on to James. He got around to Judas. Yes, he washed Judas's feet. You talk about serving. You talk about serving. You talk about becoming the least. He didn't complain. He didn't one-up them. He just loved them all the way to the cross. He got to Peter, and Peter, you know, he always opens his mouth and kind of messes things up, and somebody else has to fix it up for him. And he said, well, if, I, if, if you're never going to wash my feet, and Jesus said, well, if I don't wash you, you have no part of me. Then, Jesus, then Peter said, well, then wash all of me. And it was there that Jesus wanted them to learn that less than a foot washing, it's in repentance and humility and the need to daily serve in the kingdom of God. But somehow we've lost that servanthood aspect. Somehow because Burger King tells it to have us, you know, we can have it our own way and, and it's all about me and where, you know, if it makes you happy, if it makes you feel good, then do it. And all the books and slogans and ads that are out there just pull us away from this Christ-centered model of serving and serving and serving. And as Jesus walked and, and washed the feet, I, I'm convinced there was no hint of bitterness. And yet he washed the disciples' feet. It's not easy in my mind watching Jesus wash the feet of those folks. To see the hands of God massaging the toes of men, it didn't write. The disciples should be washing his feet. Nathaniel should have poured the water. Andrew should have carried the towel. James should have served. But they didn't. They had grace with them for three years, maybe three and a half years. And yet at the end of the, of the time together, the last Thursday night before his death, burial, and resurrection, it was Christ serving them again, not them serving Christ. I tell you, it's not right from my perspective. It just wasn't right. It isn't enough that his hands would be pierced the next day by spike-sized nails. Most of those hands also scrub dirty feet the night before, but he did because that's who he was. Man, he served. And then Peter says that you and I need to follow his example and following his steps. Jesus would say it like this in John chapter 12, verse 26. Jesus teaches again that serving is a major component of our relationship to Christ. Whoever serves me must follow me where I am. My servant will also be. My father will honor the one who serves me. Now, can I paraphrase what Jesus just said? He just said, don't go around telling everybody you love Jesus, you love Jesus, you love Jesus if you're not willing to serve Jesus. Because the two go hand in hand. Jesus loved us, that's why he served us. You love Jesus, that's why you serve Jesus. Now, I can give you many wonderful kind of benefits for serving Jesus. And I, I think some of the greatest is that, man, you're on the front row of, of seeing God's faithfulness. 
you sung about that this morning. And God's faithfulness, and you see it over and over as God uses the, the, the weak and the small and the, and the stuff that you can contribute to somebody else or their life and through your talent, resources, and abilities and your love and your caring. God uses that in a way of transformation to change their life, and you get to see God's faithfulness every day. Not only do you get to see God's faithfulness, you get a front row seat, man, to see lives changed. But probably the one I like the best. My dad wasn't much of a screamer at ball games or wrestling. I wrestled some. And, and best I know, my dad only blurbed out one time uh, a thing at a meet or a, any sporting event that I remember. And, and I'd put this move on this kid. I've told you this, I think, before. But I put this move on this kid. And, and, and he was a good wrestler in our, our, arch, our arch rival school. And, and so the whole crowd went quiet. And my dad was right in the middle of the Centerville crowd. And he stood up, said my nickname. But I'm not going to tell you what my nickname is. But he said my nickname. said, way to go. And I wanted to tear that guy limb from limb Because my dad was saying, good job. Keep it up. You know, the, the joy of serving is one day. Gabriel's going to blow his trumpet and time's going to be no more. And Jesus Christ is going to come back on a white horse on a, with robed and white vesture with his name written on it that he's faithful and true. And he will set all the wrongs right and, and he will just do the work that God has always intended for him to do. And, and we'll either go to heaven, you know, during the, the rapture or by death or just at the end of all of that. But when we get there, Jesus will be there and he'll say, way to go. Well done. Well done. And I'm telling you, streets of gold, and I've talked about it a lot over 30-something years of preaching, but that doesn't, not, that's not going to impress me. I'm telling you, the thing that I think will thrill my soul for eternity is to hear Jesus say, well done. But he will not say, well done, if we have not done well. You say, well, I'm a good person. I appreciate that. I know quite a few people who do not believe in God that are fine people. He doesn't call us to be good. He calls us to be Christ-like. And if you're Christ-like, you're going to worship him, you're going to grow in him, and you're going to serve him. L let me just kind of wrap this up by saying, does anybody know what the, what the number 104 represents does anybody have any idea what the, word, the number 104 represents? 104. We'll give you a new car. 104 is how many volunteers it takes on any Sunday morning to make Sunday morning work here. 
I added this thing up several times. I started with the cleaning team that either comes in on Tuesday or Saturday, and I, and I just went through Sunday morning. I went through the, uh, the things that have to happen for Sundays to work good, the, the, uh, the landscaping group and the, the lawn team and then the serving team and the ushers and the greeters and the teachers and the first group of children's church workers, and then the second group workers, the second shift, the tot spot, and the first shift of tot spot. And I'm telling you, you add it all up. And I didn't believe the number at first. I added it all up, 104. Now, you can give or take about 10 on any given Sunday, depending on who's here and what's going on. It could be a little more. It could be a little less. But I'm telling you what, 104 seemed to be a pretty solid number. And when you come to a church our size, you may say, well, you know what? They don't need my help. Let me show you another number. 446. Does anybody know what that means? That is the average attendance for this year from teenagers all the way up to people who are 142. Our average is 446. Added that puppy up. Now that simply means that 77% of our church isn't doing anything. Now, I, 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 can, I, I gave an extra 7% for those who teach life groups on, through the week and that kind of thing and, and, and a few other things that go on through the week. But I, I'm telling you, for the most part, you're right. It's 70% of folks who aren't following the example of Jesus. In just a few weeks, we're going to meet with over 35 different ministry leaders in our church. We call it Unity One. I guarantee you, when we say, what do you need? What can we do? All 35 plus of them will say, maybe a few won't because of of the nature of it, but almost all of them will say, I I bet 95% of them will say, we need more help. Well, where's that help going to come from? Well, I'm telling you, the, the 23% who are doing stuff on Sunday, man, they're knocking it out of the park. But there's about 70% of you. You come and you go and you're served and people sing to you and someone preaches to you and someone takes care of your child and, and you come in and you go out and it's just like, that was nice. In fact, that was so good, I'll bless folks with my presence again next week. And we love having you here. I'm just simply saying, if you want to be a true follower of Jesus Christ, you have to plug in and serve somewhere. You say, well, I'm a good example at work. Well, that's what everybody's supposed to be. That's that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about jumping in and, and being a part of a of a group, of a ministry that effectuates change, that promotes the name of Jesus, that, that wants to help people connect with God through worship, grow in their faith, and then, and then reciprocate that by serving others. Man, I'm not trying to guilt anybody into serving because if I guilt you into serving, you're just going to have to be guilted to serve and serve and serve. I'm just simply saying Jesus said, Jesus said, and Jesus said, and Jesus washed feet, and he was the supreme example. And if I want to be like anybody, I want to be an image bearer of Jesus Christ. And if he served, then I need to serve. And if he served, 
you need to serve. You say, well, I don't have time. That's nonsense. You got time for whatever you need. I guarantee you, if you had every minute of the day full, all right, and we're going to take a test, all right? If you had every minute of your day full with church and lunch and then maybe going to somebody's soccer game, then going to somebody's softball game, and then going to a life group and then having a barbecue and then marshmallow roast and then, you know, had to run to a store in between there. If somebody told you at 342, if you would be on the front doors of Kirby Church, you would get $1 million. How many of you would say, oh, I don't have time for that? You see, the, the real reason is somewhere we, the people of God, had diminished the great value that Jesus places on humble and loving service. So you don't know how busy my life is. No, but I know how busy everybody's life is. By the way, if you stop serving in the church, I'll tell you what's going to happen. You're just going to fill that time up with something else. And then when it's time to be needed again, you won't have time to do anything because you're already just like crazy busier than ever. Jesus said, if you want to be great, you become a servant. He said, if you want to be like me, you serve in the kingdom. You say, well, what do I do? I'll give you two places to go to. You can either come and see me. I'll hang out up here after church. Or you can see Joe, Pastor Joe, in the welcome area over by the fireplace. You can see him after both services, and he would love to talk with you. You take Grow Tracks 301. We try to help you figure out your place and where you can serve. But we need you to serve. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes?